it's a it's a lack of belonging, I guess, a lot of yeah. the time. Um, that's yeah. replacing one word with another sort of like othering, lack of belonging. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that's what it feels like. It feels like existing in a world that doesn't know you almost and doesn't know what to do with you. <laughs> Hello beautiful people, on today's podcast we have the delightful Jordan Collins. Jordan is an author of the recent book Aware, which is a representation of their passionate, personal and political slam poem they wrote at the young age of 14 years old, based around the question, where are you from? This poem was written as a way to connect with people who ask these questions and let them know that they are just human. What I personally love about this conversation is Jordan's interesting outlook and perspective. They share vulnerably their experience of growing up as an African-American Greek-Australian and their frustration of being asked, where are they from? As a cover for, why don't you look like me? We talk about their experience of being othered, of lacking a sense of belonging and what developing a relationship with themselves looks like by unlearning the messaging of society. Please enjoy this conversation with the lovely Jordan Collins. Where are you from? People ask me that question all the time. Mostly I respond with a grin, a hint of sarcasm and a rhyme. Well, when a mother and father love each other very much. And they'll laugh because it's funny, a joke, a good gag. But sometimes they push, they'll giggle and go, no, but really, where are you from? And how do I respond? How am I supposed to respond? What is it that I can possibly say to make my answer seem slightly okay? I'm from the interiors of collapsing stars, from the explosion that made the Big Bang and the iridescent glow of the nebula. I'm from the void and the cosmic dust around our solar system. I came straight from the center of the universe on an express route of cataclysmic creation, from the moons of Pluto and Saturn to the fire of suns millions of light years away. I am from the redwood trees, their roots sunk deep into the ground. I am from the vaporous clouds and the ocean tides. I am salt, I am fire, I am earth. Where are you from, they ask. Still, even after I've told them, because what they mean when they ask me that is, why is your skin that color? Why does your hair look like that? They don't care that my molecules were made in the same place as theirs because they see skin that is not like their own and assume that we are so different. I came from the same ancestor as you, the primate who decided to walk upon two legs for the first time. I'm from the voyagers on the sea like you, from crouched people over the fires that they had made, braving the winters of a changing world. The men and women who painted on the walls, created religion, became us. Where are you from? I'm from the mountains, the seas, and the sky. I'm from children of millions of years, a timeline of humanity. I'm from this planet and all others. Where am I from? Titted head, eyebrows raised. You see skin and I see supernovas. You see hair and I see the horsehead nebula. Where are you from? I'm from the same place that you are. So no need to ask again. Wow. <laughs> that was really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing, Jordan. Honestly, whew. <laughs> that was really special. So welcome, Jordan. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I would love to ask, so In relation to this poem, I've read that you shared, I am African American Greek Australian, which means I have dark skin and curly hair. My whole life I've been looked at and asked, where are you from? What people are really asking is, why don't you look like me? Can you share more about your experience behind these words? 
Um, yeah, I think it's uh, a, a lot of my life I've spent growing up in like mostly white neighborhoods and white communities. Um, when I lived in Chicago, I was mostly, I was the only black kid in the school um, for most of the time that I was there. And then when I moved to Australia, I was the only black kid in the school. And mm -hmm. then when I went to high school, I was the only black kid in the school until 2017. And that's because my brother joined the school. Wow. So a lot of my, yeah, a lot of my life has been spent like in not like spaces that aren't necessarily made for me more or less. Um, but that's, I think, a common thing for most black people that like you don't feel like most spaces are made for you. Um, and it was just, yeah, growing up always feeling very different and very othered and people going, okay, but where are you from? Because obviously I could, I, you're not from here because you don't look like me. So you're not from around here, you know? Um, and then I would get like increasingly cryptic in my responses. Like sometimes mm. I would be like, oh yeah, I'm from Kingsford. <laughs> and watch them squirm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's always been an interesting experience, especially like if I say to someone, I'm like, oh, I'm Greek. And then they look at me and they go, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> but you're brown. You can't be green. <laughs> That's yeah, not interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's mostly just a, a continued experience of being othered in white spaces, more or less. Yeah. This word othered is something that I highlighted that you speak to. Mm -hmm. Can you share more about, I guess, the deeper experience of what that feels like like maybe you know like on a day-to-day -day experience of that when you really feel like you're embodying that sense of otherness what does that look like and feel like um a lot of the time it's it looks like people staring at me when I go places um there's this thing that babies do in particular where uh because his babies are constantly you know trying to readjust their definitions of what mm. things are like they go oh it has four legs so it's a dog and then they see a table right. and they go, four leg no fur table instead um and when they see a person that looks like me they go person <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to try and figure that out so every time I get on the bus I get stared at by babies <laughs> They're trying desperately to comprehend what I am. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm not blaming the babies for othering me. That's not their, mm. their problem. But that's that's kind of the feeling that I get from all people all the time is they're trying to almost readjust their definition of what human is to encompass me in a way uh, where it's like you don't look like me and they they might have like all of these preconceived notions about me. Uh, one of the things that happens to me a lot is people will ask me like if they can touch my hair and I don't know you. Yeah, it's it's a lot of that of just like this constant. It, it's a it's a lack of belonging, I guess. A lot of yeah. the time, um, yeah. that's replacing one word with another, sort of like othering, lack of belonging. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that's what it feels like. It feels like existing in a world that doesn't know you almost and doesn't know what to do with you. <laughs> and what has been your journey with that relationship of belonging because obviously you know it's very ironic that we're speaking about this I literally came across a, across a quote today by Brene Brown that sort of talks about this idea of belonging mm -hmm. and you know separateness and this 
need to be able to kind of like belong to ourselves first before we sort of feel like we belong to others and sort of the world. Obviously in growing up and feeling different and feeling othered, what has been your relationship with feeling like you sort of belong not only to like the people around you but like also to yourself? Yeah, I think it's been, it's definitely been very difficult um, Mm. a lot of the time. Like, uh, the when I was younger, like I uh, I was friends with a lot of people who had like a lot of uh, like colorism just sort of ingrained in their culture and stuff like that. Um, and they didn't like they didn't say it to me, sort of like they didn't go, oh, you're brown and that's ugly kind of. They would just kind of like say things that were like, oh, you want to make sure that you wear long sleeves in summer because you don't want to get a tan. And I kind of like just sort of internalized all of yeah. that of like oh I want to make sure that I'm not tan um but I'm also always going to be tan because I'm brown you know (laughs) um but yeah like I think that there was definitely a lot of internalized hatred for myself Mm -hmm. and like I didn't feel like I belonged so I assumed that that meant that there was something wrong with me rather than the systems around me and stuff like that I remember I used to sit in class all the time and I used to have like these this part of my hair that would kind of stick up it was like what most people would have would be like bangs but because my hair is frizzy it would just stick straight up Um, (laughs) and I used to sit there with like a pen and try and like straighten it as much as I could Um, because you know I I grew up kind of like hating my hair and seeing that other people around me didn't have hair that was like mine and wanting to to fit in with that Um, and then I learned like uh, because my mom is um, not African-American she's the Greek side (laughs) Um, and so I never really learned how to take care of my hair or like to have uh, I was never really in like black spaces most of my life growing up and I think that that probably contributed a lot to like the not feeling like I belonged because yeah. I didn't have a place that I did. It was always existing in places that I didn't. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely, the the experience was mostly unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had a little giggle because, you know, it's so funny, like fundamentally as you're very aware, and I know you advocate from, is like, you know, we're all human. And, you know, I was giggling because for some reason, like in my 30s, my hair's like decided to develop like a cowlick thing at the front. Yeah. And it's like all of a sudden, it's just like I normally have like a bangs kind of thing going on. And now it's just like decided to just like fully stick up in the air. So, um, yeah, that's why I giggled. I, I related to that. <laughs> I'm just like, maybe I should get the pin out. Yeah, yeah the pin. It, it works. Didn't do anything. I didn't, okay. <laughs> I have to like get some serious gel or something. Yeah. yeah, I remember trying to ask my mom all the time. I was like, can I go? Like, my friend said that I could get a straightener and they would cut it and then it would be bangs and and he was like that's not how it works it's not gonna like Like, it's just not how it goes and I was like no 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 but my friend said that it works and my friend had straight hair you know (laughs) so I'm really curious Jordan like you mentioned like you know throughout that experience you do get to a point I feel like we all do to some extent like this internalization of self-hatred and I mean by all means you're very young I think you're around 21 (laughs) Did you have a, have you had a turning point, like a moment where you've just kind of realized like enough is enough. Like I do not want to any longer internalize this stuff that I've sort of like received these messaging that I've received externally. Um, 
I don't know if it was like a point or anything, mm-hmm. like if it was something that happened or like what it was, but I think it was mostly just a very slow progression of like trying to unlearn certain things like, yeah. oh, it's okay that my hair is curly or like it's, I can, uh, you know, like it's okay that my skin is dark and you know, people were, there's a lot of stuff in like the media and things like that, where, you know, if a black person does like the box braids and has the dark skin, that's considered ugly. But then if a white person does it, it's like, wow, she's so beautiful, you know? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think kind of like, I feel like probably the internet helped me a lot with that, to be honest, like just seeing people that were like me and that actually existed and were, yeah, living their lives. And, you know, people thought that they were attractive and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, it's, possible (laughs) um uh, yeah but I I do think it was mostly just a slow very slow process of like unlearning a lot of behaviors rather than Mm -hmm. having a breaking point really (laughs) yeah and you speak sort of about this frustration let's kind of go back to like the theme behind your poem and your new book why did you become like what influenced you to become frustrated when people continue to ask you where are you from? Um, I think it was, I think what made it frustrating was for one, like the frequency um, was definitely, it was like most conversations would kind of start with that, right? <laughs> like someone would say, hi, how are you? What's your name? Uh, where are you from? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, and that, and I always thought it was odd because it wasn't necessarily something I would ever ask anyone else. Um, mm. And so I was a bit confused by it. Um, and then I started to kind of like pick apart why people were asking. Cause you know, I would say something like, I've always been a little bit more like in touch and involved with the side of me that is Greek, you know, like I, we go to our Easter and Christmas dinners and stuff like that. And so I have a lot more of a connection to that culture. And so when people would ask me where I was from for a while, I would just say, Oh, I'm Greek. Um, And then they would like look at me and then they'd go, no, but what's your background? Like, where, yeah. what's your, where are you from? And then I realized that that wasn't what the question was about anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what was frustrating about it was that people weren't ever asking me because they genuinely wanted to know me or like mm-hmm. know about my culture or anything like that. They actually just wanted to know why I was brown. <laughs> like, that's what the question is. Yeah. <laughs> why are you brown is the, yeah. is the question that they should be asking, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I find it really interesting because in preparing for this podcast, I was thinking like, what do I normally ask? And I mean, a lot of the time I do ask, where are you from? But I think as you're sort of suggesting, there's like a point of difference between trying to sort of extract like one point of information from you. So like I feel, you know, insert whatever feeling I'm desiring or like I feel like, you know, obviously I have a podcast, it's called To Be Human all I do is ask people about, you know, where they're from, but it's in the context of like, you know, what is your journey? Like, you know, who are you up until this point? What have you experienced? So I'd love to know throughout sort of having this experience of and the frequency of people saying, where are you from, Jordan? Where are you from? How would you suggest to someone like me to be able to ask you, you know, where are you from? But in the context of like, you know, I want to learn more about you and your journey of life. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, I guess I guess you could just say, like, what's your journey? Like, yeah. how did you get here? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, most people do tend to start at the beginning for that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, like it, it's kind of a natural inclination. Um, like if somebody was like, what? 
wh- how did you get here? Like, what do you, you know, what was your whole progression of like ending up here? And I go, oh, well, I was right. born in Chicago and blah, 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 you know, like, and it would kind of come a bit more organically because I think that indicates more of a general interest than, you know, um, where are you from? <laughs> Why yeah. you met? Tell me, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so through the publishment of your new book, which is your your poem, you've become a somewhat speaker on racism. I think recently you sort of went to an event where you had to get up and speak about the theme of racism um, in front of a group of people. What sort of angle do you come in? Like if you're asked to speak on this theme of racism, what is it that you specifically enjoy and are passionate about speaking about? Um, I think I'm passionate about speaking about the little things kind of. Um, mm. Like the the word that people use is microaggression um, mm. <laughs> where it's small things that are like, you know, people – People know that rape, that slavery is bad, you know, and mm-hmm. racism is bad and we shouldn't kill people for being brown. Um, and that's something that like people find very easy to wrap their heads around because like, OK, yeah, no, they're they're people just like us. Um, but then when you say something like they're people just like us, it's like, oh, th- that's where there's a lot of disconnect of like, you know, it's still othering people and still making people feel less than human just by doing small, like little acts. And that's something that I think doesn't get talked about enough a lot of the time Um, because people always talk about the big racism, like the Black Lives Matter protests, the, you know, people getting gunned down in the streets sort of racism, but they don't talk about the day-to-day little thing of like society treating you to hate yourself sort of Mm -hmm. uh, things. yeah, I think that that's mostly what I talk about. Like when I did the speech at the CBCA, I talked a lot about my own experiences of just like little things that would just happen to me. And when people hear them, they go, oh my gosh, that's awful. And it's like, yeah. but you you probably would have done the same thing, you right. know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I was young, maybe four years old, I used to go to this library all the time. Um, and I love the library so much, but I didn't like going into the adult section, uh, because like not the adult as in like explicit section, but just like yep. the, the section with adult. <laughs> That's <books>. good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'd be standing there and like, I would always try and find this one corner, um, that had like the computer games because I wanted to play the computer games and I'd go through looking at them. And every time I would turn around, one of these old librarians would be behind me and she'd be like, what are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need help with anything? Um, and I never understood why that made me uncomfortable. <laughs> like, and then I learned like many years later, I asked my mom about it and she was like, oh no, they were really racist. <laughs> and like, it's like when you're young, you don't understand that that's what's happening. You know, you just go, this makes me uncomfortable and I don't know why. Um, and it was just kind of one instance of that sort of thing happening all the time. Um, in school, in high school, we had to read Heart of Darkness um which is my least favorite book of all time (laughs) (laughs) sorry if you like heart of darkness it's pretty intense (laughs) um the the thing was was that I wrote an essay kind of really deconstructing about like the way that we equate blackness uh with evil and like you know dirtiness and white with like light and purity and that sort of thing um and I got a really bad mark and was told that I didn't understand the point of heart of darkness you know um And that, I mean, like, that's racism, right? Like that, you know, you, 
you don't want to accept another opinion in what I'm writing sort of thing of like, but Heart of Darkness is a good book. It's a classic. You should like it. And it's like, well, it's a perpetuation of colonialist ideals um, that, you know, black people are lesser. And there was always one kid in the class who was so excited to read the word, like read the book where they say the N word, you know, it's like, (laughs) I don't want anything to do with that. you know. And it's, yeah, that's the kind of like racism that I try to talk about a lot is the really ingrained small acts of racism like they're not small when it's affecting a person and how much it affects them but like it seems small on the outside you know Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's very beautiful and very powerful and I'd love to know like what is your own personal version of like an ideal word like world like say we don't like what does it look like to have no racism like have you ever thought about like that vision of what a world that feels true to you looks like on the other side of sort of everything that you've experienced up until now? Um, it's an interesting question. I never, <laughs> it's a big question. You don't yeah, need to overthink it. <laughs> a world without racism, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's all I live think, there. <laughs> yeah, I think that the only time that like racism will ever stop existing is if we find aliens and then we'll be racist at them instead, you know, like <laughs> that's the only, you know, it's it's more of a um, putting it somewhere else rather than, you know, actively getting rid of it. Cause it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, it does come from like pattern seeking behaviors of like our brains and, you know, like I don't necessarily blame people for being racist in a way, like mm-hmm. as long as they're open to sort of talk about it and like try to, deconstruct the ideas that they have around racism and stuff like that um like a in in a perfect world it would be nice to just kind of be treated like a human being most of the time yeah. you know like there's this but at the same time there's so much that has been done already that like it's it's that debate between equality and equity like there's so mm-hmm. much that we've done to disenfranchise and disempower uh people of color for like millennia um and it would be a lot of work to undo that and then get to a point where people are no longer like doing those things to people you know like Mm -hmm. there's we we spent so long dehumanizing people of color that we now have to bring them back up a little bit to in like the Mm -hmm. eye of society to being a person like considered a person and treated like a person you know yeah Yeah, I totally think it's like being able to be aware of like our biological defaults because I know, you know, there is science and sort of why, as as you're suggesting, like this pattern seeking, we like to compartmentalise certain things like that kind of makes us feel like we understand the world around us more. But I think as you're suggesting, it's like we can be aware of that but also treat each other like humans. Like we have the ability of like consciousness to be able to make these decisions. And I think as you're suggesting, it's it's through culture, it's through the generations of being able to implement this that we'll get better and better at it. But as you're suggesting, it just starts with those sort of small changes that may feel insignificant to one person, but are really big in the lives of others. Yeah, exactly. So Jordan, I'd love to thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful poem and performing it. I feel truly honored. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I would love to ask you on a final note, Jordan, 
what does it mean to you to be human? Um, I think being human means uh, that sometimes we wrap our arms around people when we want to say goodbye and uh, we give them flowers to show each other affection and we listen to combinations of sounds that make us feel happy and we make little robots and we send them up into space and uh, we being human I think is is loving each other <laughs> you know and that we're all we're all very much the same and we we are life and we are enjoying ourselves mostly <laughs> yeah